from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And this morning, you get a two-for-one sermon. But I promise I won't go twice as long. But it's two for one because we're going to look at another mark of a disciple and at the same time confronting uh, what we can call a respectable sin, uh, if you will. Respectable sin, one of those that we know is a sin, uh, but we're okay with it. And everybody around us is okay with us being involved in it as well. And it is worry, right, which doesn't sound much like a sin, does it? However, at the same time, it would be easy to see right now with all the prayer requests that we just had, with everything that's going on in the world, with all the pictures of, you know, hey, Facebook, the price of gas is up. You don't need to post the price every time you take, you, you get gas. Yeah, we got it, right? Everybody's worried. It'd be easy to, to, to fall into that with everything that is happening, yet in just a few moments we're going to see that we're told not to worry. Do not worry. And as we are going through the marks of a disciple, part of the premise, or, or the premise has been, that we're looking at, at actions or characteristics that, that mark us as a disciple so when the world sees us, they know. And so far, it's been in the positive vein. Do this, do this, do this. This morning, we're going to look at a, a do not category. For we are told in the passage that we'll read in just a minute, three specific times, do not worry. Now, here's a question for you. Why? Why are we told not to worry? Let, let's be honest. It seems, if it is a sin, and, and, and if God says don't do it, and then and you do it, it's a sin. It seems like on the scale of sins, because we have scale, God does not, that we would put it kind of over here, kind of a, it, it, okay, God, will let you have it as a sin since you told us not to, but it's really a lower level, minor sin God, because over here we've got things like uh, murder and, and, and we got things, you know, like adultery. We got some really heavy sins over here, God, which we agree and we don't like those. That's okay. We don't want to have anything to do with those. Those are not respectable. But this one over here, God, this one, it's just a low level sin, God. It, it's, it's, it's all right. But is it? But, but, but is it? Why is worry. A sin. Why are we told not to engage in it? Well, the simple answer is because, and I'm quoting someone, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. It's practical atheism and an affront to God. So if you're engaging in a sin that is practical atheism and an affront to God, then it's not really a mark of a disciple, is it? It's not really something that we should be engaged in because worry then is the opposite of demonstrating our trust in God. 
And when we come to this part of Matthew and and this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to the crowds after they have followed him and they're they're listening to him and he starts to to outline all the marks of the disciples and he's going to tell them in just a minute, "Don't, don't worry, don't be anxious about your life. And the point that Matthew is, is trying to record and is to help us understand is that we are wanting to demonstrate practical trust in God. That when we come and say that we're a believer in Jesus Christ, then we're going to demonstrate that in some practical ways. There are some ways that we have been transformed. And for Matthew, as he writes here, it's a practical application of our faith and our our faith in Christ to then demonstrate it by not worrying. And so Matthew calls our attention to this. And this is what Matthew records. And remember, this is Jesus speaking. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toll nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this morning, as we look at this, three reasons why worry is not a mark of a disciple. And the first one is this. Worry is unproductive. Worry is unproductive. You look in verse 27, Jesus says, "In which of you can be, by being anxious, and some translations say worry, some translations are anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So to prove his point, Jesus makes a very simple but sharp point. And it's one of these things, he says, can you add an hour to your life by worry? Now, there is a little bit of uh, ivory tower debate about the analogy that Jesus is giving here. Okay? On the one hand, some translations have, can you add time to your life? Some of the older translations you may have read says, can you add a cubit to your height? And, and the question is, which one is correct? Is it an hour to your life or a cubit to your height? Now, neither one is possible. Can we just agree with that? You, you can't add more time. However, this is where I fall down. I fall down on the cubit to your height because have you noticed when Jesus gives illustrations that many times he gives very, 
I don't know how else to say it, absurd illustrations. Where you look and you see and you know there is no practical way. I don't care how many times people have tried to dissect a, a camel going through the eye of a needle and going, there was a gate. What Jesus meant was a camel through an eye of a needle. That's what he meant. And so right here, what I think, I, I think where I'm going to fall down on is he's saying, can you add a cubit to your height? A cubit, generally speaking, was 18 inches, thereabouts, okay? It wasn't a, a declared measurement. It, it, it kind of waved a little bit. So think about it this way. If I added a cubit to my height, I would be 7'4". Now, this is even more funny. Atlanta would be 6'8". <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Would either one of those be very practical? I mean, a 7'4 guy... It's life is difficult if you're a seven four. I imagine life at a six eight woman is still fairly difficult, right? It's not going to happen. Now, also remember, the people that he are ta- he is talking to are not the tallest people in the world, right? Why was Saul chosen as king? Do you remember? Because he was what head and shoulders taller than everybody else. When you meet most Jewish people. They were not very tall. And so for them to be that tall, it's, it's going to be more of a problem than a benefit. It, it's not going to be helpful. But at the same time, no matter what they try to do, you can't become taller. I can't make myself taller. There's nothing I can do. So I can worry about it. I can fret about it. I can do whatever I I want to do. But it's not going to change the fact that instead of getting taller, I'm shrinking. It's just completely and totally unproductive. But if you would rather go with the minutes and add hours to your life, okay, we can examine that track as well. How many have ever been to the doctor, and as you're leaving the doctor, the doctor looks at you and says, hey, you know what? Here's my prescription for you. Tomorrow, when when you wake up, before you get out of bed, right? We have a list of things we do before we get out of bed, right? We're laying there, all right. Before you get out of bed, I want you to spend 30 minutes worrying. I just want you to lay in bed. And I just, I, just, I just want you to worry. And all of you are laughing because we know exactly what that's going to do. Absolutely nothing. Except for maybe make us roll back over, pull the covers over our head, and go back to sleep. It is completely and totally unproductive. And while I do not think that worry can physically kill you, I don't think there has ever been a, a death certificate person, you know, cause of death, worry. We all know that worry does, right? You're worrying yourself to death. Why? What does that mean? It's going to rob you of the moments to come, rob you of your joy, rob you of being useful. It's completely unproductive. And Jesus comes and says, look, it is so unproductive that that I don't want my disciples to be engaged in this. 
You're not going to get anything done. You're not going to accomplish anything. He goes, look, instead, what I want you to be involved in is in verse 33. If you want to do something productive, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you want to be productive, work for the kingdom. Seek after His righteousness so that He can give you everything and you can become more like Him and then be useful to the world. But if you decide to, be, to worry, then you're not going to be productive. And most of us, I believe, wants to have productive lives. Right? I mean, look at all the technology that we purchase and buy so that our lives can be more productive. I was clearing some trees and brush this week, and I'm, I don't know who invented a chainsaw, but I'm glad he did. I was much more productive with that than with a handsaw. We want to be productive. And if you want to be productive, do not worry because it is absolutely and utterly unproductive. But then secondly, Jesus says, worry is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. And to prove his point, he uses two illusions, uh, illustrations from nature, birds and flowers, right? And he connects the nature illus illustrations to two issues we face in life, food and clothing. Now, the food thing right now kind of speaks to us a little bit when we go to the grocery stores, doesn't it? You know, I never, I, none of us, or at least I never thought that I would ever walk in some of the stores and look and see how empty the shelves are. And so it kind of speaks to where we are today. And in the first illustration, he says, he says look, look at the birds. Look at the birds. And again, his illustration is funny, okay? He Jesus, he might could have had a career as a stand-up comic. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Okay, now just, just let that sit in for a minute and laugh at it. Because it's funny. For all the times that you have seen robins or, or, or sparrows or, or, or birds in the yard, what you have never, ever, 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 ever seen is a robin in your backyard with a little bitty hoe underneath its wings hoeing the ground. You've never seen a robin, after he got his ground hoed, reach over into a seed bag and toss out seed and then covered it up and watered it and at the end of the year came back out with his little sickle at the end of harvest and cut it down and carried it and put it into the barn. Again, hey, those are his words, not mine. Because every one of the people hearing this were, were you know, they're in an agrarian culture. They would know what it meant to sow, reap, and gather into barns. And they know, I've never seen a bird do that. I mean, we've, we've seen animals nowadays do some pretty neat things, but I've never seen a bird do that. Right? And he says, look, all they do is they go out and they just... They get the food. But where do they get the food? He says at the end of verse 20, 28, or excuse me, 26, he says, your heavenly Father feeds them. God feeds the birds. Now, th this is not a call for us to be lazy and, and, and be like little birds and just open our mouths and have God drop food into them. Right? I mean, they have no activity in producing the food, yet they go out and, and they're still fed. 
The point Jesus is making is, look, the food is there. He provides for them. But then in his second illustration, he turns our attentions to flowers and clothes. Now, clothes are not nearly as urgent as food. I, I think we can all agree with that. However, people throughout history have seen clothes as a basic necessity of life. How many of you here this morning are glad that we have clothes? I'll let that thought sink in for a minute. Right? I mean, clothes keep you warm. Clothes keep you cool. Clothes protect you from dangers. I mean, yesterday when I was working and, and, and working in the trees and, and, and brush and shrub, you know, I didn't go out in flip-flops, shorts, and a T-shirt. Right? You put on clothes to protect yourself. So, so clothes throughout history have been, it is an important necessity of life. And Jesus says, look, he says, why are you worrying about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow neither tall nor spin. It's like, you know, they're, they're beautiful. How did they become so beautiful? Because after all, at least the birds are active in going to find the food. But flowers don't do nothing. Right? Flowers are just, they're just there. How in the world are they so beautiful? Well, it says again that, that God himself arrayed them in glory. And he says, I want, you to, I want you to consider something for a minute. And he talks about Solomon, and he's using Solomon as a stand-in for, for all of royalty because the audience would remember the, the grandness and beauty of Solomon's reign. They would also recognize, and we recognize today too, even though we don't have a king and a queen, that kings and queens historically have, have clothed themselves very differently than the peasants and the people in their kingdom, right? They got the great big crown, they got the big purple uh, robe on. And you go and you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's really kind of regal and majestic looking. God says, well, look, I want you to understand something that even Solomon in all his glory, so imagine whatever the most glorious day of Solomon was when he was maybe ascending to the throne, where he was, he was reigning from his throne, where he was adjudicating cases brought before him, whether it was a, a festivity where he decided he was going to put on all his regal clothing to look like a great and powerful king. God says, hey, he may have looked good, but he does not compare at all to the glory of the flowers. Not at all. Doesn't even compare to the, to the grass, he says. But God clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven. So he says he's going to take care of you. The flowers and grass, I mean, they're, they're transitory. They're here today and, and in the fire tomorrow, yet God takes care of them. And Jesus is saying this to make a very specific point. And he's doing it in a rhetorical fashion in which you argue from the lesser to the greater. Look at the end of verse 26. After he talks about the birds, he says, Are you not of more value than they? Hey, are, 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 I take care of the birds, but are you not of more value than the birds, because yes, the birds are God's creation. Yes, God takes care of them, but the birds does not have the image of God implanted in them. 
And he continues, he talks, he talks about the grass again. And he talks about how they, you know, what he does with the grass and clothing. And then at the end of verse 30, he says, Will he not much more clothe you? If God takes care of the flowers to make sure that they are clothed in such beauty, will he not also clothe you? Are you not much greater than the flowers? The whole point that Jesus is making is that God will take care of you. God will take care of his children. As the author and sustainer of this incredible earth and universe we live in, that God sustains and holds up, keeps the stars and the moons in line, brings the rain, brings the snow, brings the sun, takes care of the birds, takes care of the grass, will he not that much more take care of you, the only creation that when he created you, looked on and said, it is very good, and then looked around in all of the creation that he had made, and only into you did he breathe the breath of life and endue you with his image. Will he not take more care of you than he will the rest of the creation? And the answer is a simple yes. It's, it's, it's that simple. Worrying is unnecessary because God is going to take care of you. Worrying says, I have to do it because you're not going to take care of me. You're not going to provide for my needs, for my, my food and, and my clothing. And Jesus says, yes, he is because you are of more value than they are. If you follow the logic through the Sermon on the Mount, we've already passed the Lord's Prayer that began with what? That simple, simple prayer. Father, give us this day our daily bread. God, we're going we're to operate on simple dependence of you to take care of your children according to your word. So worry is unnecessary. All right, here, here, here's a personal illustration. Some years ago, and probably happened since then and before then, you, get, you kind of get in, I got in this mindset, God was, he wasn't taking care of me. And, and speaking as a husband and a father to, to dads and husbands out there, you, you, you know the, the pull as, as a father to provide for your family and to take care of your family. And so one day I'm, I'm just, you know, just, man, God's, God's not taking care care of me you know and then I had one of these things and I, I think I'm going to coin this as a new term here a God slap to the back of the head right because when that happened and in that moment what I realized was I didn't have a list of unfulfilled wants or excuse me I didn't have a list of unfulfilled needs I had a list of unfulfilled wants we all have a list of unfulfilled wants God's not saying that I'm going to give you everything that you want. What he says is I'm going to take care of you and give you what, my need, what you need. And when I start, and I kind of looked around and, and was understanding that, what I saw was I had a list of fulfilled needs where every single time God had came, came through. And had I wanted to, i go, hey, look, I was better. God loved me better than the bird, and he gave me this. God thinks more highly of me than the flowers that he had raised in glory. And every single 
time. He had taken care of me. And worrying about it was simply unnecessary. Because God is going to take care of his children. But then if that is not enough, Jesus makes one more pointed statement, and it's this. Worry is unworthy. (laughs) Worry is unworthy. Look at verse 30. Where he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, today is alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much will he more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then in verse 32, he says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Second time that he has used the term Gentiles. He's saying, don't be of little faith like the Gentiles. And he's using that phrase to to draw our attention to the dichotomy of how a believer in the community of faith lives opposed to someone outside the faith. Someone outside the faith will worry and pursue after these things. Why? Because they don't have a heavenly father who is going to take care of them, so they think they have to take care of it all themselves. And God says, don't be like them. Don't don't be like them. Right? Because why? Because our lives are, are, are better than that. Lives are more, he says in verse 25, more than food. And I know we're Baptist. That strikes hard. Right, even to the point last summer, at the national at, at the Southern Baptist Convention at the annual meeting, there was a motion made to add a fellowship meal Sunday to the SBC calendar. First of all, I didn't know we had an SBC calendar. Secondly, I think it was approved unanimously. <laughs> well, everybody's like, hey, we don't need to argue about this one. We like food. Yeah, slap that bad boy on the calendar and, and put it on there twelve times. Right? All right, but it, life, is, it, life is more than food. Life is more than clothing, which flies into the face of clothing makes the man or the woman, right? Think about how many fashion houses and magazines would be out of business if, if people realized that life was more than clothing. Jesus says, don't, don't, don't be like the Gentiles who are worrying after this. It's unworthy of you. It's unworthy of you. He said the Gentiles, remember he was, he was talking about the Gentiles earlier? And, and he said, don't, don't be like the Gentiles when they, they go to pray and, and they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Don't be like the babblers. Don't go in there and just start babbling. Blah, 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 blah. Why? Because they have no faith. They have no heavenly father to pray to. So what they're hoping is that there might be a God up here somewhere, some you know, God that is not, does not care about the people on earth, and, and some God up here. So what they're going to do is they're going to go pray, and they're just going to go and basically pester whatever God there may or may not be to death until that God finally just relents and gives them what they need or what they want just to get them to shut up. He says, look, don't, don't be like them. It's, it's unworthy of you who says that you have a heavenly father, our father who aren't in heaven. You have a father who's going to take care of you. It is unworthy then for you as a child of God to beg your heavenly father to provide for you what you need in life. 
because he's going to do it. He's going to take care of you. So again, he says, instead of seeking out worldly goods, make, as we saw earlier, seek out the kingdom of God. Our top priority is living under the authority and the submission of God. And when we do that, he says, he's going to give you all the other things that you need. He's going to give you a lot of your wants. So why worry? It's unworthy as a child of God to worry. And he ends in verse 34 with, with a proverb that says, Don't worry about tomorrow, it worries for itself, which sounds kind of pessimistic, but it's actually encouraging. Because what Jesus is, is saying is there, he's not denying the reality of trouble in our lives, right? He's not saying that we're not going to have troubles. In fact, we don't, he's not saying that we don't need to be concerned. We can be concerned because concern then moves us to action. And we show compassion, right? He, he instructs us through His Word, you know. As believers, we have a little bit, we need to use our brains and, and look down the road a little bit and make plans accordingly. But He's saying, don't worry. Don't allow the troubles that come into your life to so overwhelm you that you become un, unproductive and, and unworthy of a, being a disciple, Don't be like the Gentiles who don't have a God who's going to take care of them. So what do we do? What do we do? Just very simple. Y'all know the answer. Y'all, you already know which passage of Scripture I'm going to. Because we've been told what to do. When you feel that worry creeping up in your life, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. As Paul is writing, he says, I'll start with verse 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm starting to be a little bit worried. The shelves are empty. The gas prices are insane. I'm concerned about my next meal. I'm concerned about my clothes. I'm worried about what's going to happen. And I'm worried if, if this event happens, it's going to trigger event B, which is going to trigger event C and D and E, and all down to the end of the alphabet until I'm destitute, homeless, living in a box with, with nothing happening, right? We've, we've been, don't, you laugh because we've been there. And Jesus says, tomorrow's going to, you know, don't worry. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. And then the Holy Spirit in, 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 inspires Paul to write, when, when you start feeling like it, when, when you're starting over here at A, and let's be honest, we live in, right now, we could easily start at A and just list everything that is wrong and what's going on that we're up, we're, that night worried about, right? The other day, I'm, I'm in a pastor's group on Facebook. Gotta love pastors, right? <laughs> this was the question. If Putin decided to launch nuclear weapons, 
How would that change your eschatology? Talking about the end times. Somebody in the comments section put the best answer of all time, says, well, depending on where the nuclear bomb landed, I might not have to worry about it. Right? And I don't know if that's the least of our concerns or the most of our concerns at the moment. But boy, it could get us started off worrying. So what happens when, when it says, do not be anxious about anything? There's a lot of anythings right now. Do not be anxious. What, what do we do? He says, instead, you go to prayer. You, you just you go to prayer. And at first, this point here, he's talking about prayer. Prayer at this point in the sentence just means general communication with God. Hey, 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 you're, you're focusing on the world. You're looking horizontally. You need to be looking vertically. So stop looking this way. Look this way. Go to the Lord in prayer. And then he makes two points from the prayer. He says, number one, he says, by prayer. And then he says, and supplication. Supplication is simply asking God to do something. Whatever is causing you to worry, ask God to intervene, either to change your attitude or fix the problem. God, I'm worried about this. I feel it creeping up. I am coming to you, and I'm asking you to do something. And at the same time, he says, as you're talking to God, then start giving him thanks. And then he says, all right, now you can. Look around horizontally, but this time, don't look at all the stuff that is happening. Don't look at all the anythings that's causing you to worry. Look around at everything that God has done and start giving him thanks for what he has done. Reorient the focus of what you see when you look out horizontally. Say, God, I just, just thank you for that. God, I want, I want to thank you for providing. Hey, God, I remember that one time when, when man, it just it, it looked so bad. It really did, but you provided thank you. God, I, I, want, to, I want to thank you that in a minute, I, I'm, I'm going to, to go into the kitchen and I'm going to turn on my faucet and water's going to come out and I'm not going to have to worry about it being clean and I'm going to put it in my coffee pot and I'm going to brew this magical elixir called coffee and, and it's going to be so good. I just, I just want to thank you for that. God, this afternoon, I, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to get in the car that you provided and I'm going to go visit and I'm going to see my friends. Father, I want to thank you that there's a car, that there's gas, and I have friends. He says, you know what? Reorient what you are looking at when you look out. He says, because you're not someone who needs to worry. You have a heavenly Father who is going to take care of you. And so when life and trouble comes into your life, do not give yourself over to worry, but instead meet it with steadfast faith because you belong to a loving, providing, and caring Heavenly Father who thinks you are much more of value than the birds that He feeds. You are a greater value than the, the, the grass and the flowers that He clothes. And He will... Take care of you. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. 
thank you for joining us.